0: Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Thank you very much. Please take your seats. Lord, you're so awesome, and I just want to thank you for what you've done in Johnny's life. It's been a real privilege to get to know him. And I thank you just for the multitude of stories that are in this room. Because of your goodness. And so, Lord, I pray that even as we tackle this, this subject of money, Lord God, and, and uh, looking at this uh, whole subject, that you would still be the center of our focus, Lord God, that you would still um, uh, be the reason for our existence, Lord God. And I trust that even what I share tonight would make sense in the context of who you are and what you want from us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Well, I trust for those that have been here for the last little while and have, have uh, been part of the, the rest of this series that you've been encouraged by it. Yes? I certainly think it's been great. We've certainly learned a few things. We've learned that money itself is not evil, but money really just takes on the character of those who have it. Okay, So if you're a good person, money becomes good and does good things. It's a tool for good. If you're a wicked person, well then money can be used for evil and will accomplish wicked things. We learned that it's not any more righteous or good or holy or favourable in God's sight to be poor as opposed to being rich. And at the same time, it's not any more a sign of God's blessing and favour if you are rich as opposed to being poor. Because you can be poor or you can be rich and you can be righteous or you can be unrighteous. And so really it's an attitude of the heart. It's not what we have or what we don't have. It's about how we deal ultimately with what We've we've been having a look at a whole bunch of other stuff like that. Tone spoke about um, tithing this morning. He talk- spoke about putting God first. He spoke about the fact that um, Jesus didn't speak too much about tithing, but when he did speak about it, he said, you should do it. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff like that. And I would strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you, if you have any issues or hang-ups about money, uh, to go back and have a listen to some of the uh, downloads that you can get off of our website. And I trust that you'll be well grounded in this whole subject of money as it pertains to uh, Christianity. Okay, Excellent. Well, tonight I want to be talking about just the subject of spending, debt and investment. Now this is not a financial seminar. Okay, I'm not going to be giving you all the ins and outs and tell you where to put your money and all that sort of stuff. I don't have any products up here to uh, talk to you about in the cafe afterwards. It's just really, I want to just share a few things from the word of God that are principles to live by. okay? And I think if we can get these foundational things right in our lives, all things being equal, our lives will go well. If we violate these things, I think we're going to get ourselves into a whole bunch of trouble just simply because of the nature of the world in which we are living. You know that never before in the history of the world has there been so much choice or so much opportunity to explore the choice that we have. Many of the things that we enjoy as average people, if you're, you know, if you're happy with me using that term, are things that just very recently were the exclusive rights and privileges of those who are quite wealthy. And yet today, many of the things that you and I enjoy are, are, are commonplace. And so that's great at one level, but it's a challenge at the other. There's so much opportunity out there. You think about um, the average kitchen these days. I mean, I remember growing up in a, in a house probably not... Like most houses, and it just had a very modest kitchen. It had probably a kettle in it, and a toaster, and a normal oven. You know, it was just a standalone oven. It wasn't a wall oven. It didn't just had one little, you know, section to do your roasting in, and a few hot plates on it. And it's just very basic. Everyone had that pretty much. But now, I mean, you watch MasterChef, you know all the stuff that you need in your kitchen, right? And so most or many homes, increasingly, they're like mini commercial kitchens. They've got so many gadgets. They've got so many things in there that you can pack into that kitchen. And, I mean, I don't know if they actually do any more than just a little standalone oven and the toaster and, and, the, and the kettle, but nonetheless, you can spend a whole bunch of money on getting your, your kitchen up to spec so you can do the MasterChef thing and impress all your friends and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, think about the barbie. Again, in the 70s, when I was growing up, barbecues, most people had one but it was probably made out of the bricks that were left over from when they built the house. A few bricks slapped together, a bit of a hot plate on top. Awesome. Did the job. <laughs> and then, you know, and then you know, they began to bring out more newfangled sort of things, and people used to buy the Barbies that they could just wheel around the place, and they were mobile, and that, that was pretty cool. But nowadays, a barbecue, it's almost not cutting it anymore. You go and look at any display homes, you go around. You know, there's plenty of people now that have to have the outdoor kitchen. You know, and even and even barbecues aren't what they used to be. You know, they're stainless steel. They've got more bits and pieces on them. You can shake a stick out. They can cost you thousands of dollars. It's just incredible. This is a barbecue. It does no more than what a bunch of bricks with a, you know. And what about the poor old kettle? I mean, the poor old kettle is definitely playing second fiddle to the coffee machine. I mean, who even heard of a coffee machine? Like, you know, in this, I, I do not even know what coffee was. I don't think it's. <laughs> but you know, many of us, um, if we don't have a coffee machine, we like to go around our friends' houses who do have one, just because they've got one. <laughs> and you know, it's just we just things that, that um, you know the, 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 maybe the realm of, of those who are a bit more wealthy have become commonplace to us today. And like I said, so it's greater choice than ever. But at the same time, there's more pressure than ever because there's more marketing than ever before as well. It's nearly impossible to be blissfully ignorant of what you don't have today. You think about it. The TV, your inbox, there's all sorts of spam coming at you about a whole bunch of things, all the things that you've actually subscribed to because you want to know more about it. There's websites, there's pop-ups, there's all sorts of stuff. You cannot be ignorant of what you don't have and what you need. It's just unbelievable. Worse still... I think the aim of marketing, some in marketing might disagree with me and some a little bit bit harsh, but at the end of the day, marketing really is about trying to make you dissatisfied with what you have in order that you can buy something else that you can be dissatisfied with next year, that you have to buy something else that you can be dissatisfied with the year after. That's the that's the, the whole scheme that we are caught up in in this modern day and age. Whether it's a car, a computer, a phone, a power tool, a toy, a household appliance, whatever you get, you can guarantee them within a very, very short time, it is going to be obsolete, it's going to be outdated. There's going to be newer and better models and they're going to have bigger and better and more features than ever. And the pressure is going to be there to want to upgrade. And even if, even if you're not that person, even if you're content, the pressure gets there eventually because you can no longer buy printer cartridges for it or you can no longer do this or you can no longer do that. And so we're forced into this world that is just driven by marketing and, and trying to just get our money out of us. You think about technology, do we really think that they didn't know how to put a camera in one of these things, in version one? Yeah, on. I mean, come on, they, they did, didn't they? Yeah, but if they did that, you wouldn't need to, version two. So, and, and, and you'd be quite happy with version one, which I am, but I'm a little bit jealous of those who have got no. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, just, it, it's not that they are doing things... And only just discovering stuff and releasing it so that our lives can be better. No, there are plans in place in order to keep taking our money off us, in order that we might keep buying things that we don't really need and can't afford, because that's the the way our economy is geared today, and we're caught up in that. And if we don't understand that, and we don't exercise some of the things that I'm going to talk about in a little while, we are really going to get ourselves in a whole bunch of trouble real quick. It's very easy to spend a whole, much more, whole bunch more than what you're earning. And you know the thing is that even getting a raise these days, it's not like you get a raise and you get out of debt in terms of you know, more money in your pocket. What tends to happen is it, it just opens you up to greater materialism. It, it means you can have more stuff or you can have better stuff. And so we see that people who get a better job or maybe a promotion and more money, they don't tend to get out of debt. They actually tend to get deeper in debt because they can actually access more finances because of their financial position. And again, so we can get ourselves into big, big trouble. And again, sadly, you'd think with all of, this, all of these wonderful things that are at our fingertips today that were previously only the realm of the rich and famous, that we would be happier. But you know, it's interesting that, that uh, they did a study not too long ago, and they, they reckon that once you get beyond the point of, of just trying to eke out an existence by getting food and a shelter and all that sort of stuff once you get beyond that point once you've got enough money to feed yourself clothe yourself and keep a roof on your head you don't get any happier than more money that you actually get okay so this whole thing that many people are geared towards is actually a con people rather than being more satisfied with life are actually more dissatisfied with life rather than being less frustrated they're more frustrated they're more unsettled than ever before and again that's the way of the world. And the Bible contrasts the way of the world, or worldliness, with godliness. And we are here in church tonight, so I reckon we should look at some things that will pertain to godliness and contrast those things with worldliness. All right, So we're talking about spending, we're talking about debt, and we're talking about investing. And so I want to start with spending. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16, it says, The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked... Bring them punishment. The wages of the righteous bring them life. But the income of the wicked bring them punishment. Is what you spend your money on adding to your life or punishing you? Good. You think about it. What is your spending pattern doing to your health and to your family? Just to name a couple of things. Have a think about it just for a moment. Because the wages of the righteous are going to bring them life, and they're going to enhance our life and add to our life, whereas the wicked, and probably the unwise, are going to find themselves being punished by what they spend. Just because you can afford it, doesn't mean you should have it. You think about the impact, for example, on your relationship. I can afford a TV in every room. We've got... Five kids, and you know we could have five well we haven't got five bedrooms, but we could have a, 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 be, a TV in every bedroom, we could have a TV in every little corner in every little space, and you know that's because that's what people do these days. But the wages of the righteous bring them life, and the wicked and I would add to that the unwise, brings punishment. And you think about the impact on your family where you just, the kids ask for a TV, you can afford it, so you buy one, or you, they ask for a computer, or they ask for this, they buy it. And suddenly what's happening to your family, it's, it's, it's fracturing and disintegrating from within because of all the distractions. Quality time, and you know, the, the things that really matter in life are going out of the window. And so we're bringing upon ourselves punishment because of our unwise choices in life. I mean, obviously, the, you, know, you do wicked things, and that's just another level of punishment. You do dumb stuff, you get one level of punishment, you go out and do, be blatantly wicked, The destruction is just faster, that's all. (laughs) What about things like, I can buy a whole house full of toys for my kids, then they'll love me. Does that bring life and peace and joy to your home? Or does it bring frustration and anger as you're forever kicking things in the dark and tripping over things and going on about the mess in this place and all of that sort of stuff? The results from having the stress that results from just having too much stuff. What are we doing with our money? Is our money a source of blessing and life to us, or is it a source of frustration and punishment brought upon ourselves by our own silliness? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, it says this Do not wear yourselves out to get rich, have the wisdom to show restraint. Again, are we living within our means or beyond them? Because there is massive pressure to get us to live beyond our means today. Is the level of spending that you have currently sustainable? If you keep spending the way you are right now, are you going to get out of debt or are you going to get further into debt? Will you ever achieve your financial goals? Maybe you want to own a house one day. Will you ever do that? How do you know if you will? Most people don't. Most people are flying blind. It's like in one hand, out the other, with no more thought to it, really. And so their spending is keeping them in bondage. So just a few tips, practically things that we can do in order to keep tabs on our spending and make it work for us, rather than against so us. This is, this is like 101 stuff tonight. It's really basic, I know. But bear with me. But a budget is such a great idea. Just a simple thing that where you sit, sit down... You have a look at your life, you have a look at what you're wanting to achieve, you have a look at your expenses that you cannot avoid, and then perhaps the things that you're wanting to do, and you look at how much money you've actually got coming in, and try and fit one into the other. It's Taking some time just to think about, what can I actually afford? Not just, what do I want, and, you know, and the bank will give me the money, or I can max out my credit card a little bit more, or whatever, and just make it happen anyway. But to work within a budget, and if you're really hopeless at a budget, I'm so encouraged. I was thinking, I'm just going to mention this point, and someone spoke to me yesterday about it and said that they've actually been using my budget, which again, it's not an advert for them, but the point is, I love it when people are are, are, um, intentional about getting themselves out of a problem, rather than just coasting along and getting themselves worse and worse. When people make a stand and make a decision like that, say, okay, I don't have the skills to get out of this myself, but I'm going to look to someone who can help me. I reckon that's, that's true wisdom when you can do that sort of thing. Maybe you, know, maybe you don't need to get to that level, but certainly there are people perhaps who can help you in your world, who can help you to set a budget and see how they work. Because I find in a budget, it's not the things that you have in your budget, it's the things you forget to put in your budget that are the killers. Everyone you know, remembers when they have a budget, oh yeah, electricity bill, rent, this, that. You know, they're the easy things. But then on the way home from the beach, they drop into McDonald's and blow 50 bucks or 100 bucks with the kids, it's not in their budget. Or they've got a big family and the family expects stuff. At Christmas time. And your present thing isn't in your budget. There's no money allocated for gifts. Or maybe you have a whole bunch of people that get married that year or a whole bunch of engagement parties and and those things if they're not in your budget, they're the things that kill you. Because money can soon end, end, you know add up when you're expected, you know, when the expectation is fifty dollars for this or a hundred dollars for that. I kinda I don't want to look like I'm stingy, I I've got to, you know, Match everyone else's presents and what they're giving And I know what they've just bought. And they've just bought a coffee machine for them. So I feel compelled to whatever. You know how it works. So include everything in your budget. And include what you can afford. You know, Sally-Ann was doing some shopping yesterday for someone. And just started talking to the lady about the secret Santa thing that we have going with our family. Because again, I guess the pattern for most people is, it doesn't matter how many relatives you've got, you feel... Particularly if they're close to to buy everyone, all the kids, and everyone something. And so what we've done, we know, that, that's pretty. That can get pretty expensive. and can become quite unsustainable. And so what we do is we set a limit. Say so it might be twenty five dollars, and people buy for one. Now, as parents, you buy your kids presents and all that sort of stuff. But we're talking, you know, extended family. And this lady's just blown away. She's just thinking, man, that is, that is such an awesome idea. Because here I am, you know, that in my family I feel pressured to spend hundred dollars. On every child, it doesn't matter if they're 2 or whether they're 10 or whether they're 15, I'm feeling, feeling all this pressure. And if I, I just couldn't dare not do it, it doesn't matter if she can afford it, it's just the pressure is so great that she feels she has to do it. So with a budget, put in there what you can actually afford and put in that which, that which you actually need to spend. Okay, So you start with those living expenses. Then beyond that, the things that you know are going to come up and you've got to set limits, it can be difficult and then include some margin as well if you can so you know for those that are on diets i know they have their cheat nights and they you know you know and, and i think you need to do that you need to put some motivation into the process otherwise you know all, all work and no play makes jack a dull boy and so you know in a budget try and have a little bit of room in there so that you can go out for dinner occasionally or you can go to the movies or you can do something but again if you've planned for it you're not going to feel guilty when you spend it Okay, you're not going to feel worrying about whether you can pay the bills later on because you know that it's already taken care of. Okay, very simple, I know. But so many people um, get in trouble. And, and you know what I find, found as well? When I first started working, I didn't have a lot of money, and it's very easy to budget. You're a bit more conscious, but as, as you work longer and you know, pay goes up and all that sort of stuff, you become less aware because you think, oh, I don't need a budget now. But the fact is, the more money you earn, probably the more, the more you need a budget, because the more easily you can get into debt because you've got larger purchases and so on and so forth. Another tip is just deal with the issues that are driving your spending. If you're just a greedy so-and-so, deal with greed. You know, Just recognise it, call it for what it is, repent of it, ask for God's help in overcoming greed. If you are just a competitive so-and-so, ask for God's help in that area, recognise it. If you've got to be the first to have the new iPad 2, if you've got to be the first to have the new iPhone 5, if you've got to be the first to have everything, mate, you're going to pay top dollar for everything. You're going to drive yourself into the ground just to try and impress people who probably don't even know it's a competition. It's craziness. And yet so many people do it. For the sake of just waiting, looking again, if you're working to a budget, what can you afford? Okay, I'll wait till that's on special. Might be two or three or four months down the track, I might not be the first, I might not get the bragging rights, but I'll be a whole lot happier, and so will my wife, and so are my kids, and so on and so forth, yeah. or my girlfriend, or boyfriend, or whatever, however old you are, and whatever you're doing. All right, so deal with the issues. Deal with the family pressures that we spoke about before. Deal with the stuff that's driving you to spend money that you cannot actually afford to spend, which leads me to my second point, which is just simply this, about, about debt, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, part B says, The borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. What's the issue here? It's just one of freedom. If you are getting in debt, you are reducing your freedom. You are restricting yourself. It's one thing to save for something. If you've got something that you're really wanting to buy and you save for it, and you know, you... Um, decide, we are saving this money for that, but really I need to go out for dinner with my wife. We've been really busy lately. You can choose to do that. Or if the boss says, I've got some overtime this week. I need some guys to come into the overtime. You can choose whether you're going to say yes or whether you're going to say no. You're free if you're saving towards some things. But if you are so hocked up to the eyeballs in debt, you've got all the things, and the boss says, I need someone to work for. It's not a decision anymore. You're not free to say yes or no. It's just—it's just, it's just got to be yes because you're so far in debt. You've got to just pay that bill. You otherwise, going to people come looking for you, all that sort of stuff. Okay, so you're no longer free. You no, you're not free to, to do the things that are going to um, be a blessing to your family, to help your family. You're not free to work on your relationship with your wife as you need to because you're too busy to go out on those dates and that sort of because you're just trying to service this loan that you've got that's way beyond what you can actually afford. That's not the way God intends us to live. Therefore, avoid unnecessary debt. I, I don't know that it's possible to live without debt. I mean, it's always possible to live without debt, but I don't know that it's wise to live totally without debt in this day and generation. With, with you know rent being what it is, I think you're better off if you can get a mortgage. You're probably going to buy a house for about the same sort of money as you're going to rent one. Maybe, you know, All things being equal. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a time and a place to get into debt just because of the way our society is geared. But I would say don't get into debt over things that are not essential. I think, you know, essentials are somewhere to live. You need somewhere to live. I think you need a form of transport, so you probably can't get to work without one. So, you know, cars, those sort of things, you'd probably put more in the needs category. But again, what type of car you can afford depends on what you're actually earning. Don't use that, guys, to justify going out and buying a nice black Galado like was out here the other night. Mick. <laughs> but then there's the other stuff. Like I said, there's the stuff that the kids want, all the latest and greatest stuff. You know that today marketers are not playing fair. They are targeting our kids. They know the power of that little thing pester power. They know How annoying! They know how grating. How how, they reckon the the average is about ten times before a parent will cave in and buy the kid what they want. And they're gearing their advertising now not at parents, but at the children, who are going to nag. And every time they go to the shops, they're going to groan and whine, and I want this, I want. And, And most parents just give in. So it's the toys. It's, it's all the upgraded stuff. It's all the latest and greatest things that are coming out. It's the TVs that are getting bigger and more technical. You know, uh, uh, you know, we've gone, gone from large screen TVs to flat screen TVs to plasmas to LED and LCD. All this sort of, you know, there's all those sorts of pressures that are out there. These things, you don't need one of those. It's nice to be able to watch TV, yes. But it doesn't have to be as big as the whole wall in your house. You don't actually see any more. You don't get a, more of a picture. It's not like I'm watching the cricket and I'm on the and, and I get to see the whole oval if I've got a big TV. All right, you don't get anything really more for your money. All right. Hang on, we keep going. Furniture. Again, we live in an age where Furniture is so cheap and all that sort of stuff. One of the frustrating things that that we find is it's hard to give stuff away. When Sally and I got married, we were so thankful for the stuff that was given to us. It it stayed in our house for quite a long time. We didn't have carpets. We we sort of did the whole, you you try and pay your mortgage off and and you're just thankful for what you've got. Whereas these days, people want to establish a house. They want to have the whole thing. You know, all the floor coverings in, they want to have all the window furnishings, they want to have everything there, everything that opens and closes, all done the moment they step into the place. And they might be 20 years old, just newly married or whatever. And just that expectation, and it's really frustrating. You know, we, we have stuff, um, you know, sometimes people bring their church, like, oh, we've got a washing machine. You know, we'd love to give it to someone, or we've got a sofa, we've got this. It's like, yep, love to help you. But our guys are too proud, they won't take that. <laughs> it's, a, it's an indictment, really. I mean,. You know, we do live in an age where, again, things are very, very cheap. I know, but some people just wouldn't dare look at something secondhand these days. And you, you, you know, you're trying to give stuff away and trying to actually help people set them up for the wings. don't if they buy a washing machine or a fridge, or you can put it on your mortgage, or you can do so many other things with it. That's just a little, I guess, a personal beef of mine because you know, I think, and I think probably for anyone who's a little bit older here, they've known what it is to actually go without, and then you appreciate what you get. But these days, so many people are getting themselves in trouble because you go down to Ikea or you go down to radio rentals. You go so many places and it's you know, supposedly interest-free. Five years interest-free. Nothing people is interest-free. They have to pay for it first before they give it to you. They're not giving you anything for nothing. It's just in the price. Offer them cash. You'll see they'll do it cheaper. It's proof there's, there's interest in there. Okay, So just, just be aware of that. Don't get yourselves in a whole bunch of debt when you don't need to ask around ask for help if you need you know if you if you're setting up a house just see what's out there you know we have just been really we've been blessed as parents and i know many people in this church you know with, with the, the things when you have a baby it's not always cheap you know you've got cots and all sorts of things that, that babies need and I think one of the great things of being part of this family is stuff just goes round and round and round and round and you know we've had five kids so you know it sort of leaves the house and then it comes back a little bit later and then it leaves the house and some other comes back a little bit later and leaves the house and you never want it back. No. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? That's part of being a community. We can be a blessing to one another. Why should we get ourselves why you know how silly is it? What what does it do to our own personal stress levels? And even to, in terms of what we can bring collectively to God as an offering, if we're all having to buy our own, you know, not just cot, but cot. <laughs> you know, like the Lamborghini Gallardo version of a cot, and a change table, and a bottle warmer, and everything else that, you know, you have for, for babies. It's just, you know, because that's what we're marketing at. And we're always, everything's geared at us go bigger, go better. And just if it's you know some little old thing that does the job, that's not good enough anymore. What are your friends going to say when they come over? They're going to think you're a loser. Don't do that. I don't know. That's, I think that's that's the assumption behind marketing. That's what they're they're trying to get us to take on board. That our somehow our self esteem as Tom mentions is, is attached to what we have, and and we of all people in a church should never you know be dictated to by what we have. All right. Um. You know, some short-term debt can, can actually be an investment. I mean, uh, like I said, some stuff you don't borrow on. Obviously, for those that are business-minded, yeah, yeah, you might go into debt to get a business off and running. But again, it's a calculated risk. You weigh up your skill level, you weigh up your experiences, you weigh up a whole bunch of stuff, and you go into it not planning to stay into debt and get into greater debt and end up bankrupt. You know what I'm saying? It's the same with, I think there's other times to, to go into debt on a short-term level, um, you know. Holidays, perhaps. You only have kids once. And some people are so busy trying to build an inheritance for their kids they miss their childhood. And I think you'd be better off maybe spending some money while they're growing up and building some relationship and some memories through great holidays, if you, you know, again affordable holidays for you in your context, than just leaving a whole bunch of money when you die and they didn't even hardly even know who you are. You know, we, we made a decision a little while ago um, to get a pool at home. And it was something that we weighed up. It was a, it was a calculator issue. We thought, well, you know, because of when we got our loan initially, it was, it was done with a whole bunch of other factors in place. You know, what goes to God first and living expenses and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, have we got a buffer of some room, in, you know, if the interest rates go up and all that sort of stuff. And so for us, it was, you know, that money was available to be able to do something. We thought, well, our kids are becoming teenagers. And for us, we just saw it as an investment. We never thought we'd ever get a pool when we moved into the house, but we just began to see it. This is actually an investment, because we want to know where our kids are when they're growing up. We'd rather have our kids bringing their friends over to our house than just going off and being all over the place where we don't know where they are. And so it's been an investment for us. It's actually blessed us in in many ways, but it's been a source of blessing to many people as well. Okay, But it's not just something we did on a whim and then realised later on we couldn't afford it. It was something that we we saw. This is an investment in, I guess, in our our lifestyle, and it's more important now while our kids are growing up than, you know, what would be the point of maybe putting in a pool when they've left home, for example? You know, I don't know. Anyway, that's for free. (laughs) What safeguards do you have in place when you're going into debt? How do you know what is too much debt? Do you have a pers- perspective check in place? Are there people who you can talk to? And I don't just mean a financial planner because a financial planner, again, it's their business guys. Now, I hope there's none here that I'm going to offend but, <laughs> but you know, the reality is it is a business for them. They're brokers. They've got a product to sell you and yes, all things being equal, hopefully they're going to you know, they've got your best interests at heart and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, nothing's for nothing. When they come over and spend an hour or two or three hours going through all that and do it on several times, and you know at the end of the day, they're hoping that you'll become essentially a customer of theirs. So there's a vested interest. And so they're in all likelihood going to tell you certain things that um, you possibly can do because the banks will give you that much money or this company will give you that much money and you can invest it here, and all that sort of stuff. But... They don't necessarily know you as a person. They don't know your family situation. They don't know your other commitments. In fact, you tell them about tithing at church where well, they might think you're an idiot. Um, ours certainly, I think, did that when we spoke to them about it. Um, you know, So yes, I would encourage people to talk to a financial planner, but that needs to be then held in the balance with other people and other people who you respect and, and people who know about finances and know your lifestyle, know your, your compulsive nature and all that sort of stuff. And for some people, they might, you know, for some people, like getting a $200,000, 300000 might be a no-brainer. For other people, like getting a $500 credit limit on a credit card would be an issue. You know what I'm saying? So we need to have people who we can bounce things off like we would in any area of life. You know, Cass spoke wonderfully a few weeks ago about when we were talking about our series of Ruth, about Naomi, and, and relationally, we need to be taking on board the wisdom of others because we are not the fount of all wisdom ourselves. And so other people have learned some valuable lessons in life, sometimes the hard way. And if we can learn from them, we can save ourselves a whole bunch of pain. And I reckon that's always a good way to go. All right, safe limits. What limits do you have in place? Do you have credit limits? If, particularly if, you know, if you've got credit cards and you know, you're a person that's impulsive. Okay, yes, you can have a $5,000 limit. Yes, you can have a $10,000 limit. Yes, you'll get that letter in the post. It's going to say, wow, you're such a good customer. We'll now give you $14,000 limit. We'll give you 20000 Someone else says, no, we'll give you $20,000. Hey, it's all very, um, you know, kind of, supposed to rub you up the right way and make you feel good about yourself, that you're a valued customer. But at the end of the day, what they're doing is just trying to increase the potential of making more money from you. And so be careful about that. If you, if you are a person who's got into a credit start, I would have the smallest credit limit possible. I wouldn't probably even have a credit card. Um, you know, Set time limits on, on your repayments and all those sort of things. Have some limits in place that are fixed into your budget that are going to help you actually, you know, if you can't stay out of debt, at least manage your debt well. All right. Um, And, as I've kind of alluded to, don't forget to factor in giving. I thank God that I began to, as a a young Christian, I understood the principle of giving and then tithing and then tithing and offering. And I had that fixed into my lifestyle before I had a, a mortgage for a house. And so when it came to buying a house, it was kind of like, well, this is God's. This is what I need to live on. This is what's left. And a portion of that I can put into a mortgage. It wasn't like, okay, that's what I can live on. That's everything else that's left. And if I get that and I get a wife that's got some money as well, I can afford that massive mansion and put all the stuff in it while the interest rate stays the same. Okay, that's, that's not the way to do life. First things first. We heard that this morning. Give to God first. Okay, we can do, we can do life with God's blessing. We can, we can go it alone if we like. I'd rather do it with God's blessing. I think he can do more with our 90% or our 80% or whatever's left over after we've been giving to him. And I would rather do it with God's favour and blessing and, and guidance than, than, I, than go at myself with 100% of everything that I've got. Honour the Lord with your, by giving him the first part of all your income is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. And just in finishing, I want to have a quick look at investing and I want to read from Luke uh, chapter 12. And you might want to turn there. I've got a few verses to read. So Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21, or it's probably up here on the screen, I think. So this is Jesus speaking. And the context is a young guy is arguing with his brother over the inheritance and he wants Jesus to arbitrate between them. And Jesus deals that and, he says, and then he said this to them. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man... Produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone. Who stores up things for himself, but who is not rich towards God. Today, again, probably more than ever before in history, people are investment aware. You know, there's all sorts of products out there where, you know, know, superannuation is mandatory in a nation. Everyone knows about investment properties and, you know, mining companies, all sorts of stuff out there saying, do this and, you know, you'll secure your future and all that sort of stuff. And again, if you are. In the privileged position where you have a surplus, after you've paid your mortgage and you've, you, or whatever you're doing and you've, you've got your life stuff bedded down and you've got some money left over that you can actually invest, I would be asking this question. What's the best thing to do with my surplus? And that question can only be answered in the context of the term that you want to invest for. Sadly, most people think about investing for a short term, a relatively short term. And by that I mean the period between when they retire and when they die. So they might say, well, that's a long term. It's, oh, it's down the track and you know I could live for 30 years after I retire. So I'm thinking I've got to have a big investment. It's a long term. No. Jesus isn't talking about that sort of investment. He rebukes a guy for that sort of investment. I think our investments long term is talking about eternity. Something financial planners... Often overlooked. Now, again, I'm not saying don't have investments, don't do superannuation. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we need to have a longer term view than where most people are at. Because most people are only thinking about you know, the Winnebago around Australia or you know, the four wheel drive and the big caravan and you know, they're thinking about those sort of things. And it's a, such a short term view when you consider that when we leave this earth, there's all of eternity that we've got before us. Plan for the future is not bad advice if it's seen in the light of eternity. But it could well be, and I believe is, at odds with Jesus' purpose for your life. Many well-meaning people are saying, you need to plan for your future. And I get that. And again, element of truth in that. We don't want to be unwise. We don't want to spend all our money right now and trust God for tomorrow just because... You know, and, and not have a job and all that sort of stuff. Some people just take it to silly extremes. But Jesus said to use worldly wealth to gain friends. A really unusual thing for Jesus to say in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, use worldly wealth to gain friends. In other words, what you've got now, use in the now. And he says, if you do that, you'll be welcome into eternal dwellings. What we accumulate here stays here. But if we can use our worldly wealth to gain eternal friends, we can take them with us. It's an investment into eternity, not just an investment in ourselves in the here and now. That's what Jesus was was talking about with these guys. You know, people, massive investment portfolios and die, it's all left behind. And there's a good chance they'll be squandered by their kids. Jesus said, Don't worry about tomorrow. Talks about the context there is that he knows how to look after his own. We can trust God absolutely for all that we need. So as a general rule, again, looking at the other side, of live for the moment, I don't necessarily condone. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, I don't agree with. But live for the moment. At the end of the day, what do you have right now? All you have is the moment. And if we're putting off you know, doing something for the future, we may never get there. We've only got the moment. And if all of our money is tied up in investment properties, if all of our money is tied up in superannuation, if all of our money is tied up overseas in offshore mining, whatever, if, if that's the way we gear our lives, we may not get the opportunity to do the good things that are in our heart to do. Because Jesus could come sooner than we think, or our day could come sooner than we think, and we're standing before God, and all we've got is an investment portfolio, And God said, but I had a purpose for your life. You were supposed to influence your family and your friends. You were supposed to feed orphans. You were supposed to look after widows. You were supposed to do this and you were supposed to do that. And all you did was get an investment portfolio. You fool. What are you thinking? I'm not against investment portfolios, but I'm saying we need to structure our lives in such a way that God's plans and purposes are number one. And if we will... you know." Where God leads us, he will feed us, he will bless us, he will will give us all that we need if we are walking with him. If we go off into our own thing, we could end up with those words, you fall. No one takes an investment portfolio, no one takes anything that we collate here on earth into heaven. The only thing we can take is another person. That's why Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends and you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Better to die with one house, having fulfilled God's purposes, than die with ten houses and achieve nothing of eternal significance. Again, I haven't given you any specific financial planning advice tonight. But hopefully what I have shared, if you will reflect on it and you'll begin to put it into practice, your life will be blessed. You will do well. You won't your finances will be a source of life and not a source of punishment. Most of the things that are grabbing our attention today don't really matter. You know, if you never get that big TV that you're lusting all over right now, your life won't be ruined. In fact, your life will probably be blessed. If you reduce your spending, you'll reduce your debt. And if you reduce your debt, you'll reduce your stress, and you'll have more time to do the things that really matter. You'll have more time with your kids, more time with your wife or husband, more time to get on with the plans and purposes that God has for you in your life. Don't take a short term view with investment. Jesus said, What good would it do to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? How does a person forfeit their soul? Just simply by neglecting God's gracious offer of reconciliation. You know, the default position of all humanity at the end of the day is separation from God. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you, I don't have time to talk about now that, that back up that statement. But every one of us, we know in our hearts of hearts, if we have not been reconnected with God, we are separate from God. And there's, a, there's like a God-shaped hole within. There's a gnawing on the inside that, that wants to know what this life is all about. And how can I be sure that my life is going to count and that I'm not just wasting my time, you know, with all the stress and strain of my work and my, my attempted good deeds and all that sort of stuff. How do I know it's a, it's a waste of time? We need to be reconnected with God. The Bible talks about the penalty of our separation, of sin that brings that separation is death. The good news is that Jesus, the man who we quoted from earlier, came as a sacrifice on our behalf. God was willing to accept his death in lieu of our life. That's the only way that you and I can actually have the prospect of an eternal life with God. His life is given for ours. And salvation, and we're going to have a baptism in a little while and we're going to celebrate with some people who have, who have made this step. But if we're talking about an, internal investment, an eternal investment, any investment starts with the beginning of a relationship. You've got to establish a relationship, be it with a, a superannuation company or an investment company or... You know, maybe sometimes there's special conditions. You've got to be a family member or you've got to be a, an employee at a certain company. Or something. But there's a, there's a point at which you need to buy into this thing that is going to help you in the future. It's no different here. Salvation, becoming a Christian, getting born again, all of those things you've possibly heard of. That's the buy-in point. That's where we get connected with God. And at the end of the day, it's about buying into a future investment that will never ever fade or perish or spoil on us. It's about just simply this, firstly recognising the need that we are separated from God. And it's about accepting that Jesus died on our behalf, that we are not perfect, that we've messed up, that we've done our best and got it wrong again and again and again and again and offended God massively in so doing. Once we acknowledge that, we can gratefully accept what Jesus has done on our behalf. And once we've done that, we can hand our life over, turn away from the stuff that we used to be involved in and begin to follow Jesus. That's, that's really the essence of becoming a Christian. And that's really how we make the greatest investment of all. So I don't know where you're at tonight, but I certainly want to encourage you. If you're a visitor here because you've come to witness a baptism and you've got no idea about Christianity, I would encourage you after the service to maybe ask some questions of those you came with. I would encourage you even to come back. You know, we've, We had a man stand up here this morning, not a Christian, been proudly not a Christian at the moment, been part of our church for a year, just coming in, listening, watching, has been the benefactor of some, some, some good things through this church. And we encourage that. We're not here to con anyone. We're here to be open and honest and answer questions where we can because we care for you, we want the very best for you. And we recognise there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that is, that is geared for anything but that. And we want, to be, we want to be bringing hope and life into this world. And so I want you to think on these things that I've shared about tonight. Yes, money is great. It, it's a tool. It can, it can make our life better in many ways. But if we don't treat it wisely, it can ruin our lives. But all that aside, it starts, really, eternal life, true life, starts with knowing this awesome God that we've been worshipping tonight. Can I just pray for you? And then I'm going to tone up and we're going to continue with our baptisms. Father, I thank you uh, for the opportunity to share tonight. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just be um, helping every person here tonight, Lord God, to take on board these principles and to get things right, to reprioritize, not around their preferences, not around what they can afford, not around what this world is pushing down their throat through marketing campaigns and so on and so forth, not, not according to what their friends are expecting of them, But in light of what Jesus has done for us, I pray out of a heart of gratitude, Lord God, we would seek to be wise stewards of what we have in order that we can leave no stone unturned, that we can complete all that you've called us to do and use our finances as a tool to bring others to you and be a source of blessing, that your name might be lifted up and glorified amongst those who don't know you. Amen. Thank you. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.